It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Pirates on the hardwood under the new coaching regime of former Tennessee assistant Mike Schwartz have orchestrated the second and third largest comebacks in Pirate Hoops through two exciting games to tip off the season in Minji's Coliseum tonight to battle the Pirates as the ECU hosts Hampton in their only second time meeting all time against Hampton. I'm Ben Barn filling in for Patrick Johnson, Philip, the ref Pilkington produced and good to have you back my friend. It's good to be back. I'm looking forward to this. I know. It's going to be like a throwback here. As we lead you in to network coverage here between the Pirates and Pirates at 630, the voice of Pirates, Jeff Charles and Coach Michael Perry will be on the call. It's our Part Game Day countdown for Part Hoops. It's the hour and a half edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Taking a look back at the Pirates' first two games in Menji's Coliseum. The very first game they played Mercer's, snuck that one by 77-75. to in the season opening a win. Mercer led by as much as 16 in that ball game, and the Pirates rallied back in the second half to make it interesting and ultimately win that ball game. Then looking at the Presbyterian game, the Pirates trailed by as much as 19, then rallied back in that win in the second half and won 77-57. to 57. Later on the show, we'll have college basketball insider Brian Mole actually at 5:15, right on the other side of the break after this first segment. And then we'll have ECU football legend and NFL vet Terrence Copper talking about that game against Cincinnati. He'll specifically comment on some of those calls that are people are calling dirty hits in that ball game and uh, take a look at the senior day. You know, what's it like to be an athlete on senior day in that pirate uniform? What the, what emotions do you go through? All that and much more. Looking forward to that, T-Cop, later on in the show. In the meantime, these ECU Pirates have struggled in the first half. I think there's no doubt about that. And then the second half, you start to see that brand of Mike Schwartz basketball he wants to establish where you predicate the team on defense and you predicate the game on defense and it directly results in scoring. I think that's been the big takeaway so far. And one thing that hasn't been talked about a lot by a lot of people covering the part so far this year is that the ball movement has been very crisp in the second half. And it looks like a college basketball team, not saying they're going to the tournament, but it almost looks like one of those veteran tournament teams that you see year after year with their ball movement in the second half. Evilly spreading out the ball, giving it to pretty much anybody who can score, giving everybody an opportunity to get the ball, taking smarter shot selection in the second half. Something I don't want to say we we didn't really see under Joe Dooley, but it seemed like under Joe Dooley it was very predicated, all right, get Jaden Gardner the ball as much as possible, he's our scorer. Get it to Tristan Newton as much as possible, he's our scorer. Seems a lot different under the Mike Schwartz era. I agree. And the other thing that you mentioned when you said they look like a seasoned team with the way they pass the ball, they look like a seasoned team the way they pressure the ball, the way they Absolutely. pick up in the half court and uh, and not only force turnovers, but just force the opponent into a shorter shot clock where they sometimes have to you know kind of chuck up dumb shots at the end of the shot clock because they're very sound defensively later in games as well. Absolutely. And I think the big takeaway so far when you look at this roster, a lot of new pieces – seems like everybody who follows ECU basketball is excited for a different person and what they're going to do. 
but really the star of the first two games so far has been the returners in R.J. Felton, uh, Javon Small, another one. Can't necessarily say the same for Luigi. I'm sorry, but nonetheless, those two guys have really been stars uh, in the first couple of games um, so far, especially R.J. Felton. R.J. Felton had 11 points in their or in the first game against Mercer, then rallied back and had a magnificent performance, really the star of the second half against Presbyterian. 23 points in that ball game, the clear-cut MVP. And then we can't forget about Brandon Johnson in that first game, scoring 24 points, the leading scorer for the Pirates in that game, along with seven rebounds. Returners really showing the younger guys and the new guys how to step up and what this brand of Pirate basketball needs to be so far. And that's so big because I understand there's some transfer guys that are older, but yeah. when it, guys have been at a program before, even though it may be under a different coaching regime, just to show the fact that they can be the ones to step up, it's a lot more easy for the young guys and the yep. new guys to come along and, and kind of get on their back as opposed to you know, kind of trying to figure out who the leaders are going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, – it's been interesting to see these returners because these were returners that didn't necessarily get opportunities or didn't necessarily shine under the Joe Dooley era in the past. But I look at a guy like Brandon Johnson in that first game. We know he's a big. We know he could play the five. We know he can rebound. But also we found out we have a big in Brandon Johnson who can stretch the floor, who can shoot from beyond the perimeter. He was shot 50% on six, six, not, not six, on six shots from beyond the perimeter and from the three-point line, I think that could be a huge factor. If you can work him right in that offense, to have a big who could stretch the floor can change a whole lot of things and completely change that offense for the Pirates. And who would have thought Brandon Johnson might be that guy? He definitely showcased it in that first game against Mercer. And that's something you need in the modern era of college basketball. Done are the days of just big men hanging out in the paint. And if Brandon Johnson can be that guy with his veteran leadership, that would just be huge for this team. Absolutely. That was kind of the big knock on Jaden Gardner. Jaden Gardner, probably one of the greatest talents we've seen come through ECU basketball. But the big knock on him and the possibility of him going pro in the NBA was the fact that he's a big that can't necessarily stretch the floor. When it comes to mid-range, he's a little inconsistent. We haven't seen much from him from three-point range. It's kind of encouraging to see a young guy like Brandon Johnson, who is a returner, stepping up and showcasing what he has from beyond the three-point, uh, from beyond the arc, really. And, I mean, that's been really great. R.J. Felton, who was a guy we saw at Minji's Madness, um, which um, if, you have not, if you're not familiar, it's kind of like the pep rally event they do before the season. Go next year. It was actually a lot of fun. Definitely some kinks to work out. It needs to be a little bit more organized, but nonetheless, a fun event. R.J. Felton, we kind of got brought on to him early on in that Minji's Madness event when we they did a three-point competition, and he was really the guy that shined in that three-point competition. And it was kind of a surprise because we're like, we don't really know really what R.J. Felton is. We haven't seen him in a lot of game action under the Joe Dooley era. Is this a guy that could potentially be our guard that can be deadly from beyond the arc? And he's definitely looked that game that way through the first couple of games, and he looked that way in Minji's Madness, me and Phillip, Firsthand got to see it there, and it's translating to on the court. So definitely a big uh, – he's definitely been a big factor there. No, he has. And this is a team that prides themselves on defense, which is key under Schwartz's coaching style. Yep. But you still have to have the ability to shoot the basketball. Yep. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you don't score points, you can't win. And that was my biggest worry coming into this year. Yep. Well, so far through two games, and big thanks to R.J. Felton, I don't feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what I like about this team – is that we have 
different guys who have different offensive skill sets. You have guys that can stretch the floor. You have guys like Caleb LeCount who can drive into the paint and get you an easy layup or, or work really hard to get you a layup when you really need points. And we saw that in that second game against Presbyterian. Caleb LeCount, really the star of the first half for the Pirates, but just different guys with different offensive skill sets. And then when you look at the rebound, and it's been encouraging I get it's against lesser opponents. We've been able to out-rebound our opponents. It just goes back to what Mike Schwartz says. The fundamentals, getting cleaning up and brushing up the stuff like that that you absolutely have to do to win a ball game, simply like out-rebounding your opponent, not getting as many fouls or not getting into foul trouble, uh, just taking smart shots. We've seen all of that so far, especially in the second half under Mike Schwartz of these first two games, and the rebounding has really stood out to me. And there's no clear-cut rebounder who's really stood out. Everybody kind of, I don't want to say equally as good at rebounding, but everybody kind of doing their part in rebounding. You look at the stat sheet, nobody's over seven, and everybody's averaging around three or four rebounds up and down this roster. So definitely encouraging the fact that pretty much everybody he recruited and brought in, no matter the size, can rebound. Yeah, no, that is encouraging because it's, like you said, it's such a technique and form-based thing that yep. anybody can learn to do it. It's a matter of whether or not having the mindset to do it. And, you know, interesting, you brought up lesser opponents, and that is true. It's easier to yep. rebound against lesser opponents. But if you remember, Mercer had that kid that was like 7'2". Yeah. And we did a very good job boxing him out where the only way he was going to get a rebound was go through somebody's back and get a push call. Absolutely. And there were guys rebounding in front of him that were shorter than him, as well as even a guy like Caleb LeCount, who's come down with a few boards this year. And clearly, they're everybody that he's going to have on him is taller than he is. Hey, yeah, absolutely. I, I never thought I would be taller than a D1 athlete or a D1 basketball player, but I tower over Caleb LeCount. And I'm only like 5'11". So that's definitely been uh, kind of cool to see. Caleb LeCount seems to be a fan favorite early on. And going back to the rebound and how important rebounding is and how ECU's done so well in that and has had the advantage in that, you look back to that first game UNC played this year. They had the number one moniker next to their name. Got out-rebounded by UNCW, and UNCW was really a handful for them. UNCW had a chance to win that game, but ultimately plagued the Seahawks, and obviously the Seahawks are going to be a future Pirate opponent, but what plagued them was the fact that when they got those rebounds and they got those second-chance points, because they were really good on offensive rebounding as well, they couldn't score with those opportunities. That ultimately kept them from knocking off the number one team in the country. But we've seen it. Even when it comes to smaller opponents up against kind of the marquee Blue Bloods of basketball, if you got the rebound and you're, you got the advantage in rebounding, you have a chance to win. And that's Exhibit A right there, UNC and UNCW. And I think the Pirates, Mike Schwartz, you know, preaching the fundamentals, defense, stuff like that. He says defense opens up opportunities for scoring. I think rebounding as well opens up opportunities for scoring, especially when you get second-chance points on the offensive end. Well, exactly, because it just it creates another possession for you. The shot clock you know, hopefully hits the rim and it resets to 20, but it theoretically is a whole new possession. And the more times you have the basketball, the better chance you have to score in the basketball. Absolutely. As you can tell, we're excited for Pirate basketball tonight as they get set for their third regular season game in Minji's Coliseum. It's the battle between the Pirates. ECU versus Hampton, the second all-time meeting. The Pirates lead the all-time series one to nothing. We'll have more coverage of Pirate Hoops. It's going to be underway. But on the other side of this quick timeout, we hear from college basketball insider Brian Mole on the other side here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Eastern North Carolina's home for the Adam Gold Show. 
Come on in. Weekdays at noon, right here on Eastern Carolina's home for sports. I love sports. And the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. Tweet at us. Hey, you want to see our tweets? That's creeping me out. Follow us on Twitter for breaking sports news and what's going on around the Pirate Nation. We need you guys on Twitter. Twitter. It's 943 The Game on Twitter. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show. College basketball insider Brian Moles is with us here as Ben Byron and myself filling in for Patrick Johnson, Phil the Ref Hilton and producing. Brian, how you doing, my friend? Good to hear from you. Ben, I'm doing well. So nice to hear from you. It's great, great to hear from you. Taking a look at these parts, just a quick thing on the parts here. In their first two games, two epic comebacks. We're starting to see great ball movement in the second halves as well as really good defense resulting in points. Have we truly seen Mike Schwartz brand of basketball yet here in Greenville or are things just ramping up? Because he's really made it a point to say that, hey, under this first year, defense is going to be the key and it's going to result in points for us. We want to focus on defense. Is that Mike Schwartz brand of basketball and are we seeing it right now? I think so in spurts, Ben. Um, You know, Obviously, the first 10 minutes or so of either one of those games are, are uh, nothing uh, that he would have been extremely proud of. Yeah. But uh, the way that uh, they kind of regrouped and, and came back, and it started on the defensive end for sure, both of those comebacks, as it so often does with uh, getting some stops. I remember the end of the first half uh, of the Mercer game, a couple of big steals that led to points there that kind of made that deficit a little more manageable going to halftime and yep. then just really locked down on Presbyterian in the second half and shut down their key scores. And uh, I've really been impressed with the development of uh, Javon Small and R.J. Felton Absolutely. from last year. I mean, two guys who did not get a lot of opportunity to play. And what we've seen from them so far is is got to be exciting for all Pirate fans. Absolutely. It's really been so far through these first two games, the returners, who we didn't really know what we have under Joe Dooley with those two guys, have really been the star of the show for the Pirates so far. When you look at Hampton, I know you uh, cover some smaller uh, conferences like the Big South and the Colonial uh, somewhat. What have you seen from the Hampton Pirates and the limited action they've had so far against Regent and against JMU in their first game? Yeah, I watched quite a bit of that JMU game, and uh, they did not look very good. But uh, as JMU has continued yep. uh, since then, they've made all of their opponents look pretty bad. Uh, Mark Byington has a terrific team up there in Harrisonburg. Yep. Hampton, uh, you know, they're, they're a little limited. Uh, they don't really have a lot of paint protection defensively. Uh, they've struggled on defense the last couple of years. I know that was a point of emphasis for them coming into this season. My conversations with with Edward Buck Joyner, their coach. And, but I didn't really, you know, JMU is a very difficult team to defend, so I didn't really see that come to fruition in the opener. But maybe in this past week with having a game against the non-Division one and having some reps in practice, and I'm sure that that's, uh, you know, been a focus, a point of emphasis. I would think you would see a little bit more effort on that end from Hampton. Uh, they uh, they have a really good point guard, veteran point guard, Russell Deustine. He's been the starter there for what seems like five or six years, you know, yeah. with, uh, you know, these super senior seasons. And uh, they have a nice scorer from uh transfer from St. Louis named uh, Jordan Nesbitt. Uh, but uh, I would think, uh, you know, if the Pirates come out and to handle it, they should be able to come out and handle their business. 
And to your point, when you talk about how they kind of struggled in the paint a little bit and paint protection, um, when you just look at their overall rebound, and um, in the offseason, they lost their top three rebounders from last year. So obviously, that goes back to what you said with them struggling in the paint. Taking a look at the AAC, we're moving on here. Houston still is the standard and has been the standard for years now. They're not only the team to beat in the conference, but really the team to beat in all of college basketball, I would say. I think they should probably be the number one ranked team in the country. But from what you've seen, is this the best iteration of the Cougars under Kelvin Sampson that we've seen so far through two games? Because I believe this team is not just built for a conference this year, but they're built to win a national championship, I think. I agree with you 100%. If you ask me right now which four teams are going to make the Final Four, they would be at the very top of my list. I agree. They have just been so, so impressive. I mean, I think what kind of got lost in the shuffle, there were so many great storylines last year, whether it be Mike Krzyzewski's last season, of yep. course Carolina's epic run toward the end to the national final, and then Bill Self winning his second national championship. What The job that Kelvin Sampson did with that team last year, uh, losing two of his best players, two, two dynamic all-conference caliber guards, uh-huh. player of the year caliber guard in Sasser, and, and to take them to the Elite Eight and uh, – just have them playing their best basketball down the stretch again. I mean, I just think probably as good a coaching job as I've seen in college basketball in the last five to six years. And now you have both of those guys back and you've added a five-star power forward Walker. And you know, you know, the Cougars are going to do two things. They're going to defend you and they're going to rebound. And now with a little bit more scoring punch, I mean, they've gone over 80 points in all three of their, uh, you know, these early kind of warm up games, if you will, Yep. but just dominating dominating performances they've been they've been very impressive and uh you know they've got a big one coming up this weekend at Oregon absolutely tell us a little bit more and uh Oregon losing to UC Irvine over the weekend so you know that kind of seems like it would play in Houston's favor but we know Houston's good but there's also a couple of other really good schools in the American you look at Cincinnati they play aggressive defense and score quickly they've been really fun to watch Tulane with Cook Cross and Forbes under coach Ron Hunter looks like a great group Never can count out Memphis with DeAndre Williams. I guess my question to you, when it comes to those four teams, including Houston, do you believe the American is a four-bid conference this, this year with the NCAA tournament? Specifically I those I wrote teams. that this summer in, in one of my previews. I, I felt like uh, you know it, this last iteration that we're going to see of the American with some of these programs moving on. Yep. That this would be the uh, you know a great opportunity for them to kind of go out on a on a high note. With, with three to four bids. And uh, certainly I need to see a little bit more on the offensive end from Cincinnati. Uh, I like their defense so far, but uh, I have a couple of question marks about their scoring. But I think Tulane, um, you know, Dark with guards like, that you mentioned, the, at, at that quality and then kind of that tricky defense they play, that sort of matchup zone, uh, soft man-to-man, whatever you want to call it, it's not the easiest defense to prepare for. I think Tulane is is a type of team that could really uh, surprise some people around the country this year. Um, it's been a kind of a watershed year for athletics at Tulane. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I have Tulane as my dark horse, really, in the NCAA tournament to really make a run, uh, specifically because of guys like Jalen Cook and Cross and Forbes, and they can stretch the floor a little bit, which is an underrated aspect of their team. But uh, shifting over nationally in college basketball, let's start with Carolina when we look in the state. Came into the season with the number one moniker next to their name. They still have that moniker. Uh, had their hands full of UNCW, who's proven to be a pretty tough team here so far. Had a rough first half against Charleston, and now they just fi- finished a competitive ball game of Garner-Webb. 
Do you believe UNC is the best team in the country based on what we've seen, and are they worthy of that number one next to their name so far? I, I don't think so. No, not right now. Yeah. Not right now. I mean, I, I certainly at the end of the season, uh, we may be having a completely different conversation long ways into March, and teams uh, have a lot of opportunity. And, and look, uh, they've had to make a big adjustment losing Brady Manick. Uh, that has changed uh, their offense quite a bit and changed the roles and, and changed the amount of attention that uh, Baycott's receiving. Certainly Nance played very well last night, but it was also against the team picked to finish in the middle of the pack in the Big South. So, uh, you know, there's some questions to answer, certainly uh, coming up. We'll, we'll, there are a lot of opportunities where we're going to find out. But, uh, you know, you look not too far down the road on December 4th, they've got a trip up to Blacksburg to play a, a Virginia Tech team that uh, I've seen a couple of times this year who looks like they've just picked up right where they left off at the ACC championship last season. Uh, so they're, they're going to – they don't have a lot of time. And, and, and uh you know, a team we mentioned, uh, James Madison, coming in on Sunday. Yep. Uh, coming in with a ton of confidence, a ton of depth, a lot of scores, will not be afraid to play at a, at a fast pace. I mean, I think that could be a that could be another game that kind of lets us know where the Tar Heels are right now. I'm going to hand it over to Philip here. He's a big Duke fan, so he's going to ask you about the Dukies. Hey, Brian, I was yep. wondering, uh, looking at Duke this year, you know, in the past they've really relied on their freshmen, but they've got some – transfers in that are older guys as well as Jeremy Roach who's been there for a handful of years now do you think they can I wouldn't say go deeper because I think they're still going to play eight guys but they're just a deeper team in the fact that they can rely on more guys to score and carry the load than maybe they have in the past few years where it's only been two or three guys I do and I mean watching that game last night I thought it was interesting uh certainly uh Mike Krzyzewski was known for his substitution patterns in the second half the bench would often get very short, and you would see the same five, maybe six players playing the entirety of the second half. And I noticed last night that Shire was uh, substituting a little more freely. Uh, eight players got double-figure minutes, and, and, and arguably the, the person who I was told over the summer would lead them in scoring was is not even playing yet, and Derek Whitehead. Um, I, I mean, you're talking about the number two recruit in the class, so I think you know, when he comes into the equation, could potentially be nine deep, uh, I think Jalen Blakes has made a nice jump from freshman to sophomore year. I think he's he's someone they'll be able to trust off the bench. Uh, certainly Proctor is a great playmaker and ball handler. Uh, I think it's an interesting mix of skill sets. They have a ways to go on the defensive end and the toughness end, and some of that got exposed last night with some execution mistakes down the stretch. But, yeah, I think this team's nine deep. I would be very surprised if the bench uh, gets much shorter than that and, uh, you know, really a nice rotation of – of ball handlers and, and, and big men, um, a little concerning about the three-point shooting. I mean, neither team shot the ball well last night, but I think that is an area that they're going to have to prove that they can make shots consistently. Brian Mole, really good college basketball insider with us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Wrapping it up with NC State, I think they're a very intriguing team this year. They're off to a undefeated 3-0 start. They'll get te- tested with Kansas the day before Thanksgiving. When you look at the Wolfpack, they've had their issues the past few seasons, especially with injuries, and now they've had guys hitting the transfer portal. What is this Wolfpack team's ceiling so far based on what you've seen in their play style? And is Terquavian Smith, the local Farmer Central product, the best player in the country? He's a superstar. I'll tell Absolutely. you what, he, he's dynamic, and there's no doubt about it. He's on the short list of candidates for ACC Player of the Year and should certainly get some mention for the national awards as well. Uh, you know, 
haven't learned a lot about the Wolfpack yet. I'm a little concerned about their defense. Yeah. Uh, I have been for the last few years there. They're going to have to prove it, you know, as they get into more of the meat of their schedule that they can lock down and defend some of these uh, better teams that are, that are certainly going to start coming, you know, night after night once you get to de- de- December, really. So uh, I think the Pack could be a tournament team, but they've got a ways to go before I'm, I'm going to feel good about that. I mean, they, they've got a some opportunities they've got to prove it uh they you know open the conference with pittsburgh as you mentioned they have a great neutral site game with kansas uh trip down to miami we'll know a lot about this nc state team before the new year starts yeah i think there's a lot of unknowns with them they're just very intriguing right now but that can easily go away within a month here but brian always some great stuff some great insight i appreciate you coming on my friend Thank you very much, Ben. Have a great uh, rest of your day. Absolutely. Take it easy, bud. Brian Moe, college basketball insider, with us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Barm filling in. Philip the Rev Pilkington producing. Let's throw it to Philip the Rev Pilkington real quick for a quick 94-3 The Game Sports Update brought to you by Team Boneyard. Thanks, Ben. We will start in Pirate Athletics. ECU women's basketball defeated High Point this morning, 65-54 in overtime. The semifinalist for the Jason Witten Collegiate Man of the Year Award has been announced, and Pirate quarterback Holt Naylor's was one of the 20 players selected. The three finalists will be named on December 14th, and the award will be giving out, given out on February 23rd. Pirate football senior day is this Saturday against Houston at 2 o'clock. Coverage will start right here at 1 o'clock on 94.3 The Game. Bushlight Pirate Game Day Countdown Show will start at 11 a.m. with Patrick Johnson and Terrence Copper. It has been announced for this game that over 40,000 tickets have been sold. To the NFL, Deshaun Watson returned to practice today. It's the first time he has practiced with the team since August. He still has two games left in his 11-game suspension, meaning he will be eligible to return to the playing field on December 4th against his former team, the Houston Texans. And to the NBA, the Charlotte Hornets are at home tonight. The 4-11 Hornets will host the 6-6 Indiana Pacers. Charlotte is favored by two and a half. We will throw it up to a quick timeout. On the other side of the break, we will talk more Pirate basketball and hear some comments from Coach Schwartz from earlier in the week. Podcasts about the Pirates and Panthers are available. Sorry about that. I screwed it up. Let me do it again. Podcast about the Pirates and Panthers available now online at the all-new 943thegame.com. And now, back to the P-Man, the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. So Ben B. Baby Barm filling in for the P-Man. Phil Ruff Hilkington producing Mississippi, Nassong and Nascinda, the intern for today. Good to see him. Mike Schwartz speaking to the media earlier in the week, the head EC basketball head coach, had a lot to say. We start off with Mike Schwartz here with an opening statement of head of their game or their matchup tonight against the Hampton Pirates, and he provides a little bit of a scouting report. 
Obviously, a couple days out uh, since our last game, and we spent a lot of time looking at where we need to be better, and, and there's a ton of areas, but obviously the most glaring is the starts that we're getting off to, and we have to find a way to get off to a better start on both sides of the ball. Uh, we've been able to pinpoint a few things, and, and obviously we've worked on that, and we'll see. Hopefully we'll be better tomorrow. Uh, as far as our opponent, Hampton, uh, really well-coached team. Coach Joyner's done an incredible job there, taking them from the MEAC to the Big South to now in the CAA. Uh, he's been there for a number of years and has successful programs. Older team that will pose some issues for us, bigger guards, uh, really the one through the four. Uh, just big guards, big guards that are older, uh, three seniors in their starting lineup. Um, very aggressive shooting the basketball from behind the arc, uh, pressure defensive team, and uh, you know will we'll, we'll pose a problem for us and pose a challenge for us in terms of their size at their guard. Yeah, and uh, they have a junior guard. The name escapes me. I'll get that in a moment. But a junior guard who's 6'5", and so far he's kind of been the star for the Hampton Pirates through two games, averaging 16 and a half. Outside of that, a lot of the stats are just one, like one rebound, one steal, one assist. They're kind of more of a pure scoring team. Now, it goes back to what Brian Mole said and what I brought up. They're rebounding, and they're inside the paint. Their paint presence has really suffered just because they lost three of their leading rebounders to either the portal or to graduating. So that's definitely going to be kind of the key to the ballgame for the Pirates tonight is really use that to their advantage in the paint. Got to be aggressive in the paint and rebounding, which the Pirates have been in these first two games, especially in the second half, and it should be a breeze for the Pirates. But, yes, they do pose a, a threat when it comes from beyond the arc. Um, definitely something to keep an eye on. Moving on, Schwartz talks about it. It's been hard to form a rotation with guys out like Brandon Johnson, who was out the last game. Due to being sick, we'll get a word on whether he's back or not, but Mike Schwartz on it being hard to form a rotation. Kind of took a half a step back last game because of the fact that Brandon was out. And I think, like, honestly, Stephen, around the country, a lot of people are dealing with uh, sicknesses, just this normal being under the weather this time. And uh, it's, it's obviously not COVID, but it's just the new norm, guys that aren't, that aren't feeling well. And uh, so we dealt with that last game, and, and not having Brandon was a big deal for us. And the last couple of days in practice, we've had to deal with some similar issues with guys being out. And again, it's, this is all over the country, so this is nothing. This is what everybody's dealing with. But with that being said, midway through that first half, I don't think our rotation looked like what anyone thought it would look like. But that was the group that got us back in the game. So I do think we're, we're kind of building towards that. But until we can get everybody together, and you know, I still think it's going to take time to really get into that um, kind of normalcy in terms of rotation. He talks about the rotation uh, looking like nobody would expect it to look like. That starting lineup in that first game really shocked me. You remember me, Philip, I reaching out to you and being like, you were at the game. I had to be back in the studio. But I was like, what in the hell is this starting lineup? I was not expecting it whatsoever. Obviously, it ended up working out. But Mike Schwartz, uh, definitely interesting when it comes to him putting together a starting lineup for sure. I thought Luigi would have been a lock for a five. I even said it on the pregame show that day, just because how can you not start Luigi at the five with his size? Yeah, you almost wonder with them having two scrimmages, obviously we don't really know the results to those. Yep. They're not so secret scrimmages anymore. We still don't know. If he went a lot off what he saw in those scrimmages, because I agreed with you, I thought it would be Luigi, but maybe there was something that he saw that he didn't like with Luigi or did like yeah. with another guy in one of those scrimmages or both of those scrimmages, and that maybe was his deciding factor. Of course, I don't know if this is true. This is just all speculation. Well, I like what he said uh, in the lead-up to that first game in that season opener against Mercer. He says everybody on that team, pretty much had the same opportunity to end up in that starting lineup 
And it definitely looked like that in that first game. And as we've uh, moved along here, a lot of those guys we saw in like Javon Small and RJ Felton ended up being stars for this Pirate team so far. Going back to the guard I was mentioning earlier for the Hampton Pirates, Marquise Godwin, a junior, actually a senior guard for the Pirates, 6'5", a lengthy guard, kind of led the way for the Pirates so far in an up-and-down uh, start to their season, averaging 16.5. The numbers are a little skewed just because uh, they played a Regent, and he had a pretty good game against Regent, getting 21 points or scoring 21 points in that game, and only 12 against JMU. But he is their leading scorer when it comes to the average, the points average. Outside of that, only averaged two rebounds and one assist. So definitely seems like a pure score and definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Moving on, um, Mike Schwartz, a lot of people are asking this. Why is his team struggling early in games? If you have to pick, uh, you'd rather be down early and find a way to come back and win than, than be up big early and you know and lose that lead and lose the game. So, But again, I think win or loss, we just have to find a way to be better, both sides of the basketball. Um, Honestly, the turnovers are really our issue early in the game. It's not as much our defense as as much as our offense. And our defensive possessions have been solid, not as good as they were in the second half the other night. We hope that the second half is more what we'll look like on a consistent basis defensively. But we have to find a way to take care of the ball better, push tempo a little bit better early in the game. And, you know, we'll make a few adjustments going into tomorrow night and see and see how it plays out. He mentioned uh, people being sick and that being kind of a national deal right now. Brandon Johnson, we did know, was out of the second game against Presbyterian due to some kind of illness. He gave a quick update earlier in the week on Brandon Johnson's status for this game. He was back in practice yesterday, so, you know, definitely, obviously, we've talked here many times, and we have another day of practice tomorrow. We have a shoot-around tomorrow, so until we get to 7 o'clock tomorrow night, I, I hope we have everybody, but B.J. will, you know, should be back in practice today. Definitely good to hear, as we saw in that first game, Brandon Johnson could be a factor, and he could be a factor beyond the arc. So definitely good to hear. Uh, can kind of be a little bit of a stretch big. Moving on, he talks about the performance of Javon Small, who's really been one of the MVPs for the Pirates so far this season. It's hard because we obviously didn't coach him last year, but ever since we got here in April, we really have believed in him. I mean, he's been uh, – I've said this numerous times, and I'll keep saying it, the six guys that stayed from April and the effort they put in and their commitment. And then through the summer, he really bought into to our vision and what we want. And, um, you know, he has given the coaching staff confidence throughout the, the offseason. Now, did we expect or did we know what to expect the first game? No, we didn't. And then and he had a dynamic second half. I, I don't think he scored in the first half of last game. And if, if he did, it was very minimal. But Devon's someone that's had a really good offseason, summer, preseason. And I think he's... Uh, you know, kind of earned what, what he's got in the first couple games, but he has so much farther to go and to be the player that he's capable of being. Wrapping it up in today's Pirate Report, we've had basketball coach Mike Schwartz. He praises Pirate Nation, especially the student section, who's kind of showed up and showed out this year through two games in Minji's Coliseum. Awesome. These fans, the, the fan base, the students, the Minji's Maniacs, I've said it in, in, in the Mercer game, they were the difference, the impact that they made. It felt the same way. You know, and as much as it got going in the second half when we were playing well, the fact that they stayed with us and they brought the energy in the first half, you know, I can't thank them enough. And, you know, I, I really I'll keep saying it. I think this could be one of the best home courts in the country, but it's all because of the fans, the students, and, um, no, it's been awesome. All right, that's going to do it for Mike Schwartz in today's Pirate Report. Coming up, you have a chance to win a huge prize pack, a ECU Pirates prize pack. 
giving away two tickets for ECU and Houston on senior day this Saturday, plus four tickets for the Pirates' next home game in basketball versus South Carolina State on November 29th at 7 o'clock in Menji's Coliseum. And in a $25 Chico's gift card, all you have to do is be caller number three. We'll throw you on, talk to you a little bit. That's all you got to do win a prize pack. That's during the break right here on the Pirate Game Day Countdown edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Online or on the go, log on to our brand new website, 943thegame.com, to listen to the Patrick Johnson Show weekdays at 5. It might be crap, but we love it. Or tell your smart speaker to stream 943 The Game to take us anywhere you are at any time. Your home of the ECU Pirates, Dan Patrick and Adam Gold, 94.3 The Game, Eastern Carolina's home for sports. And now, back to the P-Man. Back, back, back. The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show, the Pirate Game Day Countdown Edition. The Patrick Johnson Show is we're leading you into network coverage at 6.30 between ECU and the Hampton Pirates, the battle with the Pirates. Taking a look around the American and basketball, last night, Temple hosting Vanderbilt. And Temple has really been a uh, been a weird team to kind of evaluate this year. They lost their season opener to D2 opponent Wagner. Then in the second game, somehow shocks Villanova. And then in their third game last night, drops one to Vanderbilt 89 to 87 on the bright side Damian Dunn looking like a first team all-conference caliber player through three games he had 38 points last night in the loss for a temple and the Kinston native really showing out for the temple owls owls for what that's worth moving on SMU under a new head coach took on New Mexico New Mexico actually three and0 on the season they moved to three and0 after beating SMU in Fort Worth 84 to 63. Zurich Phillips, or Zurich Zurich Phelps, excuse me, the sophomore guard for the SMU Mustangs, averaging 18.7 points for the Stangs at 16 last night in the loss to New Mexico, 84 to 63 for SMU. Memphis suffered their first loss of the season, losing to a really good St. Louis team who should probably be ranked. St. Louis now undefeated in 3 and 0 on the season. DeAndre Williams, who's really the star of Memphis right now and prom for the pros in the NBA, had 21 points, 12 rebounds in that game, the senior forward. St. Louis wins that one 90-84 over the Tigers. Moving on to some American Conference games tonight, Cincinnati travels to Northern Kentucky. Cincinnati 3-0 on the season. Northern Kentucky 1-1. David Julius really has been the star for Cincinnati so far. Another guy that's looking like a first-team, all-conference type of player. Tulane, who's really been the dark horse for me, not only in the American, but in the country this year, and looking like a tournament team um, so far, and even just on paper. They host Charleston Southern in New Orleans. Tulane undefeated Charleston Southern 1-1. That tips off at 7 o'clock tonight. Tulane favored by 20.5 points in that game with the over-under at 147. And third-ranked Houston, one of the best teams in the country, no doubt about it, primed to win a national championship, it seems like. They got the Cougar Classic tonight in Houston as they host 1-3 Texas and Southern. Vegas has the Cougars heavily favored by 31.5 points with the over-under at 131.5. We asked on Twitter earlier in the week um, to guess the Pirate. When the Pirates played Hampton back in 2016 on November 29th in Menji's Coliseum, it was their once and only meeting 
in the all-time series against Hampton. And there was a player in that game who led the Pirates in scoring. He was a former Pirate guard as the Pirates were en route to a 68-48 victory over the Hampton Pirates. The answer to that, well, first, the clues were he went to Anson High School. He was a 2015 All-American rookie team member, and he's the cousin of former NFL linebacker Stephon Anthony. Stephen Anthony? Do you remember Stephen Anthony, the Saints linebacker? I remember the name, but don't really remember him in action. But I know he was a starter for a little bit. Yeah, no, I don't I don't remember him, you know, avidly. Yeah, either way, he was the cousin of that guy. Either way. Uh, the answer to the guest of the Pirates, former Pirate guard, B.J. Tyson, who was a fan favorite in the Lebo era of basketball for the Pirates. Tyson scored 17 points, five assists, and two steals in ECU's last and only meeting against Hampton back on November 29, 2016. He was the leading scorer in that 68-48 to Pirate win. So that's this week's answer to Guess the Pirate. A fun little thing we've been doing on social media here recently. Feel free to chime in whenever we do those. Um, not really for any prize or anything. We just want to see who's uh, the most knowledgeable Pirate fan. Uh, so far, it's been this J.P. Sizzle guy on Twitter who keeps demanding a prize. I'm not giving it to you, pal. You're just going to have to deal with it. I'm sorry. Life ben is, is cold-hearted. Life is unfair. You're learning that firsthand from B Baby here. Look, it's only it's only for the best. It's I'm I'm teaching him a life lesson here. It's only for the better for him. He's learning things. Okay, I can respect the, that. Come sit under the learning tree, my friend. You'll learn a thing or two from B Baby. You might think I'm just a young plucky upstart who knows nothing, and you might be right. But I do know life is unfair. Moving on to the top twenty-five, as I mentioned to Brian Mole earlier, top-ranked Carolina. Was in a competitive ball game against uh, winless Gardner Webb, but Carolina ultimately pulls through seventy-two to sixty-six in that game in the Dean Dome. Michigan State knocks off fourth-ranked Kentucky in an exciting game in double overtime. Michigan State wins eighty-six to seventy-seven. They move to two and one the season. Kentucky falls to two and one on the season. Another premier matchup: the sixth-ranked Kansas Jayhawks without Bill Self move to three and zero on the season and win over John Shire's Blue Devils, seventh-ranked Duke. 69 to 64, Jayhawks claim that one in the State Farm Champions Classic. 13th ranked Auburn knocks off Winthrop 89 to 65. 17th ranked San Diego State knocks off Stanford 74 to 62. 18th ranked Alabama defeats in-state foe South Alabama 65 to 55. 21st ranked Dayton suffers an upset to UNLV. UNLV undefeated 3 and 0 on the season. Dayton drops it 2 and 1, the 21st ranked team in the country to UNLV 60 to 52. And 25th-ranked UConn with Tristan Newton on that team, the former Pirate guard, defeats Buffalo, who's 1-2 and two on the season. UConn claiming that one, 84-64. Tristan Newton led the way for the Huskies in that game. 22 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists. A triple-double, excuse me, not a triple-double. Tristan Newton doing Tristan Newton-type things with the UConn Huskies. We wish him well. Good to see Tristan Newton doing really well uh, on a top-25 team. And the Huskies looking at top 25 action later tonight. 23 ranked Michigan travels to Pittsburgh. Michigan undefeated on the season that tips off at 6 o'clock here in just a couple minutes. Florida Gulf Coast taking on 22nd ranked Tennessee who's 1-1 on the season that tips off at 7 o'clock. 3rd ranked Houston, like I mentioned, hosting Texans Southern at 8 o'clock. 9th ranked Arkansas taking on South Dakota State. Um, the, Arkan or the Arkansas Razorbacks undefeated on the season 2-0. Tipping off at 8 o'clock against South Dakota State in Fayetteville. And there's a ranked matchup later on tonight at 9.30. Kind of a late night kind of, uh, I, I guess you could say West Coast. I don't really count Texas as the West Coast. I guess depending on where it is on Texas. 
Austin, Texas, is that West Coast? What do you say? No. No, it's yeah, not West Coast. Well, more so West. Yeah. You would say West? They're West. They're the Southwest. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I would not. I'm not good with geography, so I'll take that. But 11th ranked Texas hosting second ranked Gonzaga. Kind of the premier matchup so far early uh, in the college basketball season. The Longhorns favored by two points, the over under at 144. Oh, coming up on the other side is a quick timeout. ECU, ECU football legend. Former NFL vet Terrence Copper on the other side talking about senior day, the emotions that go, goes through a player said during senior day. Reflects on Holton Ayler's career. He's very proud of C.J. Johnson getting on the Blitnikoff Award watch list. You know, Terrence Copper is his big, biggest critic. All that and much more on the other side here on the Pirate Game Day Countdown edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Welcome back to the Pirate Game Day Countdown edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Byron filling in. And joining me is a very special guest. Should be in the ECU Athletics Hall of Fame. Former NFL vet, an ECU football legend, one of the best wide receivers to ever play for ECU. And that's elite company there, Terrence Copper. T-Cop, how you doing, my friend? Ben, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm not feeling so good after that loss Saturday, but hey, at least we got Pirate Basketball doing well, and we're going to win against Houston this weekend, all right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Get, breaking down that game against the Bearcats up in Cincinnati, very gritty game, a lot of calls that a lot of Pirate fans felt like were missed, obviously the questionable hits. Just to start off a little icebreak here, what were your first impressions of ECU's close loss to Cincinnati? Just some takeaways you saw from that game. You know what? I, I felt like we played – we didn't play bad, but we gave up a lot of different explosion plays. But the explosion plays mm-hmm. we were giving up on the defense side of the ball was going for touchdowns. You know, and, and then we gave some other explosion plays up that's hitting for 25, 30 yards. You know, so that was the first thing that jumped out when it came to the defense side of the ball. When I looked at special teams, I feel like our kickoff team let us down a little bit. And they've been Absolutely. probably one of the most consistent – uh, special teams uh, that we have on our unit, that we have on our team. And I think they let us down by allowing the kickoff, a 100-yard kickoff back to a touchdown. And we also allowed a couple of other uh, kickoffs that got out to about the 35, 40-yard line. So I feel like special teams, we, we kind of dropped the ball a little bit there as well. When it came offensively, sometimes we just couldn't get it going. But I, I still feel like if Keaton got hurt, when that, when never got injured, we would have won that game. More on that injury and that hit a little bit later, but you always say, you said every single time on the Bushlight Pirate Game Day countdown that special teams has to be special. They just weren't special in that game. I mean, that's as, it's as simple as that. They directly It directly resulted in Cincinnati putting points on the board. And you can't oh, have yeah, that. Definitely. Yeah. Just definitely. And, mo- yep. it's, and it's a momentum switch. It's a momentum, a momentum switch. It's a momentum change, you know, and that's, and like I say, it happened early in the game. But it's still points that we could have had off the board and gave us another opportunity to get more points, you know. So giving up a kickoff for a touchdown, that's huge. And, and honestly, when you look at statistics, anytime you have a team score on special teams, their win percentage goes through the roof. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at back at that play, you said it was early in the ball game. I think it really set the tone and set a lot of energy for the Bearcats. I mean, a 100-yard kickoff return, 
in a close ball game like that, like you said, that's going to swing a lot of momentum in their direction. So I definitely think that was a killer and kind of the defining moment in the shift in that ball game, really, that really set the tone for Cincinnati. But just moving on to the uh, the dirty hits or what people claim are the dirty hits, um, I think it's a matter of opinion, but obviously a lot of Pirate fans are saying it's dirty, it was intentional. Going back to that Keith Mitchell hit, did you think it was dirty? And then going to the C.J. Johnson hit on the final play of the game, did you also think that was intentional and dirty as well? So if we're talking about the Keith Mitchell hit first, okay. honestly, Ben, to be real with you, to be real with you, Ben, I didn't think it was a dirty hit. Okay, I agree. After, More on that later, but I agree. Yeah, even after they replayed it and slowed it down, honestly, I thought they was going to pick the flag up, truthfully, because it really, I mean, was it intentional? He definitely tried to hit him. That's football. You know, that's football. You always going to try to hit somebody as hard as you can, especially when you have that opportunity. But was it a dirty hit? No, I don't believe it was a dirty hit. I think it was a a tough hit. It was a grind-type football play, like back-in-the-day type hit. Yeah. But do I think it was dirty? I don't think it was dirty. And with the CJ hit uh, at the end of the game, I just think he fell wrong once he got tackled. I think he fell in his head or, or his neck or something like that. Uh, so I just think he fell wrong. I don't think either one of those hits was dirty, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't I don't define those as really like a dirty play on Cincinnati's part or, you know, things were – Cincinnati's a dirty team and everything was favored in their direction with the conference and the refs and everything. There's a moment later in the ballgame I want to get to that I think was a little bit more questionable. When you look at a Keith Mitchell hit, the angle the defender was at – how far he was from Keaton Mitchell, the way he had to launch himself, I really think he was just trying to prevent a touchdown and make a football play. And at the end of the day, I asked myself and I asked Pirate fans, what did you want him to do? Did you want him just to allow a touchdown? I feel like that was the only way he can make a play there. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was intentional. He was trying to take Keaton Mitchell out. And I think if anybody believes that, I mean, we got to get over it. I don't think that's the case whatsoever. It's just a matter of no. we can't accept the loss. That's, that's what it seems like. That's exactly how I feel about it. You know, I think that uh, the way he hit him, it was a tough hit. It was a it was a tough hit, but it's football. It's football. There is no other way he could have hit him, you know, unless he would have went low and really kind of blew his knees out. Yeah. You know, so to me, and, he, and from what I saw, even when they slowed it down, I didn't see helmet to helmet. Uh, I just saw a strong, clean, physical hit in a tough ball game. See, you know, I would, that's what I saw. I would never debate whether it was targeting or not. I feel like it was targeting, but you know, and, and nowadays college football and the landscape of college football targeting is now kind of a judgment call. It depends on how you feel what the ref feels like targeting is. But I won't debate whether it's targeting or not. I will debate whether it was intentional and they were trying to take Keith Mitchell out. And I do not feel like to this day that was the case. So I think we can both agree let, on that. Deb, let, let me ask you something, though, Ben. What do you feel like? And this could be just for anybody. What do you feel like? Uh, trying to take somebody out means because because as as me as a player, every time I hit you, I'm not going to hit you dirty or illegal, but every time I hit you, I'm trying to hit you with everything I have. That's a good point. Yeah, you know. So I mean, so is that considered trying to take somebody out? I mean, it could be, but that's football. I, I, now, if I was doing something dirty, then I feel like okay, that's trying to take somebody out. But me just hitting somebody as hard as I can. I don't think that's dirty or trying to take anybody out. Yeah, I you know I look back to uh, the Saints back in the day of whole bounty gate. There were some plays during that moment. Sorry to pick on your Saints here, but there were some plays <laughs> during that era where it was blatant. All right, 
They're trying to hurt somebody. They're trying to take somebody out of a game. I think more about the stuff like that, moments like that, where you say, mm-hmm. all right, he's intentionally trying to hurt somebody, take them out of the game, and swing it in their direction in his team's favor. I didn't feel like that was the case in that Cincinnati game. It seemed like the guy was trying to make a play, just trying to prevent the touchdown. If he knew it was going to be targeting or not, whatever, I'm not debating whether it was targeting. I don't think he was trying to intentionally hurt Keaton to get him out of the ball game and swing it in Cincinnati's favor. I don't feel like that was the case. I don't feel like he was trying to break a bone or something when it came to Keaton. He's just trying to make a play and hit him as hard as he could. I don't think that's a, a, a bounty or anything or try, trying to intentionally take the player out. I think people are overblowing this a little, way too much, and you know they can't accept the loss against a very good Cincinnati team. That When you look back at it, if ECU would have won that game against Cincinnati, that would have been a huge win, obviously. And I think Pirate fans, the fact that we were so close to sniffing a conference championship game this early in the rebuild with the Pirates, um, I think Pirate fans just can't accept that. The fact we were that close to getting to a conference championship game and stuff like that happened in the ball game. I, and you know what? It, and to me, I mean, some of it maybe we can't accept it, but I think some of it, I think a lot of us see and Pirate Nation see that if we would have had Keaton, we would have won that game because there are some runs when he was out that yep. we had that he would have broke those. Yeah, absolutely. He broke them because of his speed. Because of his speed. And he brings so much to the table when it comes to just offensively, when it comes to getting us out of a bad situation, maybe a run that should only be for three or two or three yards, he get 30 on it. You know, so you just don't know the impact. But we do know the impact he has on our offense. Yep. But for that game right there, if he would have played the entire game, the entirety of it, we definitely would have won that game because we would have broke a few more runs late in that game. And I think uh, Coach Houston, and this is not a knock on Coach Houston, he has a right to feel how he feels and he has a right to your opinion. At the end of the day, this is an opinion piece. Um, and Holt Aylers as well, I don't think they helped matters in the post game where they said they felt like it was dirty, intentional, and they were trying to take him out. I think Coach Houston even said it was one of the dirtiest plays he had seen in years. I think that's a direct quote. So obviously that's going to rile Pirate fans up and get them going. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I we're going to move on from this. I feel like we've done it to death. ECU, former ECU wide receiver, ECU legend, NFL vet Terrence Copper with me here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Byron filling in. Shifting over to what I play now, I felt was very questionable, and this was more so on the refs in the conference. Um, the two-point conversion play where Isaiah Winstead clearly had two feet in, had, had, had secure the ball on the catch. It should have been a two-point conversion. We didn't even get a review. And if we got that two-point conversion, I believe we would have tied up the ball game or have been at a point where the ball game would have been in our favor. But instead, they just automatically dismissed it. Um, just wasn't a two-point conversion. We're not going to review it. We're going to move on. And I'm looking back, and I'm like, uh, that that okay, whether you feel like it was a two-point conversion or not, whatever. But at the very least, it should have been reviewed, and we didn't get that. What did you see on that play, and did you feel like it was a two-point conversion? And did you feel like it should have been reviewed? It should have de- it should have definitely been reviewed. I felt like he got his feet in. Um, I just don't see why you wouldn't review that. I think they feel like it wasn't as close as we saw it. You know, so the, from what I've seen, his feet was in. Uh, we definitely should have went to a review. I don't see why we didn't. Yeah, that, I mean, it was egregious. If you want to talk about any call in that ball game, that kind of really, really did not sit well for the Pirates, or it definitely seemed like we were getting screwed there. The two-point conversion call, 
definitely was a missed call on the ref's part. But you're going to get stuff like that. Maybe not that specific call, but refs are going to miss calls at the end of the day. It just kind of sucks that it directly resulted on points or took points off the board for the Pirates in that specific moment in such a meaningful ball game. Moving on, um, EC Houston Senior Day coming up. I'm going to get a little bit more into the seniors. I do want to talk about this specific receiver. When I first started working on Pirate Game Day Countdown, I first started working at this station. Um, the most interesting thing and my favorite part about Bushlight Pirate Game Day Countdown is was always your uh, comments on C.J. Johnson. I'm kind of fascinated with that relationship you have with him. Maybe I, I'm not necessarily saying that you're on speaking terms with him or anything, but it seems like you see a lot of potential in C.J. Johnson. And uh, I think everybody agrees that's a guy that could be playing on Sundays a couple years from now or a season from now, and I, I would say you would agree. But getting back to C.J. Johnson here, uh, I feel like you always saw the potential in him. It was just a matter of getting over the maturity and, you know, just maturing. And uh, it seems like he's done that. He's turned things around off the field, and he's getting a little bit more mature. And you're directly seeing that impact in him on the field and putting together a really good season this year. Just announced to the Blitnikoff Award watch list. Just talk a little bit about C.J. Johnson, how proud of him you are, and just the development of C.J. Johnson to put, get, put together such a great season like he's had this year after some up-and-down years with the Pirates. Oh, yeah. You know, just, just from what the things he's went through, off the field things, you know, his grandmother dying, passing, you know, and for him to continue to to grow as a person first. Yeah. And then continue to grow as an athlete uh, on the field, you know, it's just, it's amazing to see what he's doing out there. And and he's definitely, he definitely have a skill set that will put him to the next level. I don't know, I mean, when it comes to getting drafted, that's completely up to the scouts. Yeah. But he's going to get a shot because you the type of talent he has with his size and his athletic, his athletic, his athleticism is—you really don't match those up together that much, that well, because you're not used to having a receiver that big that can do the things that he can do. Even when it comes to the jump balls, him, him jumping yep. up there, uh, getting the fifty-fifty balls, his run after the catch—it's a lot of things that he do well, and it's really going to come down to when it comes down to his uh, his pro day, his forty time. Because me personally, if I'm a scout. And I'm looking at this kid. I'm looking at where, where his where his potential is, what he could do. I'm drafting him high. Yeah. But it's all gonna it's all gonna come off of what his forty times, how well he runs at his pro day. That's all it's gonna come down to. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his size, he's got great size. He could, like you said, he can make the jump ball catches. What could really set him apart when it comes to the NFL draft and the combine is if he has the speed to match it, or if he has that crazy next level speed. Then you're talking about something almost every NFL team wants to be a part of there. I mean, every NFL team's looking for sizable receivers who have speed. You look at some of the best receivers in the league, minus maybe a Tyree Kill or a player of his caliber every once in a while that had, doesn't necessarily have the size but has the speed. But you look at guys like DeAndre Hopkins or Mike Williams, who's becoming a number one with the Chargers, guys of that nature who are big guys like C.J. Johnson and have the speed. It's becoming the standard in the NFL. And if C.J. Johnson can do really well in his 40, he could be, I don't want to say he can have a career just like those guys, but – he can get a lot of eyes on him, and he can be very desirable if that's the case. He fits the model of what a number one pro receiver looks like right now. So I definitely see where you're coming from when it comes to C.J. Johnson. And and the thing that excites me the most about C.J. is his yards after the catch. Absolutely. He, 
he may be one of the hardest receivers that I've seen to bring down besides number 17, uh, Dwayne Harris. Yep. I think Dwayne Harris, he was another receiver that I felt like it was tough to bring him down. Yeah. Uh, but CJ, CJ is right there with him. Of course, he's a bigger receiver than, uh, than Dwayne, but he's another guy that if you give him the ball and get the ball in his hands early, he is tough to bring down. He breaks a lot of tackles. I still haven't seen the first guy bring him down yeah. on the first initial hit. I haven't seen it yet. You know, so I mean, like I said, even in his forty time, the fact that he has that size and he has that ability for yards after the catch, his forty time don't have to be a four three type. He don't have to be a four three type guy. Absolutely, yeah. If he just got out there and run, he could out there and run a four five. You know, four five. That'd be good enough for him because of his size, yeah. his athleticism, and his run after the catch. Absolutely. Moving on to Senior Day, Pirates hosting Houston and Dowdy Ficklin Stadium this Saturday. Um, just looking at senior day, obviously the premier receiver, really the guy that's been the face of the Pirates for the past four or five years has been Holton Aylers. Um, Holton Aylers, I feel like, is another guy. I love to hear you talk about him on Pirate Game Day Countdown because you've been very critical of this guy, these guys. But it seems like it comes from a place of love, and you see a lot of potential in these guys. When you look at Holton Aylers, you know, had a lot of pressure coming on him. Uh, when he committed to ECU as the hometown kid, stuck it out through the Scotty Moe era, and now as a part of this program, really turning around and consistently getting bowl games under Mike Houston. Just kind of a career reflection on Holton Aylers. And uh, what's next for Holton and really um, the senior season that Holton Aylers has had? Just some thoughts on Holton Aylers here. You know, the first thought I had is I'm, I'm so happy that he came back for this year. Yep. Uh, I'm happy he came back because he's having a stellar year. To me, he's playing and he's leading his team and he's making decisions with the best of them in the country Absolutely. Uh, when it comes to the quarterback position. And I feel like early on in his career, before he continued to develop the way he has, it was a lot of doubt if he was if he was the guy, if he was good enough, uh, even though he, he had uh, great games. But it still was a lot of naysayers out there that still had questions about what he really could do. Is he really a good quarterback? Is he is he good enough to play in the NFL? Worrying about a lot of different things, especially when it comes to the NFL. You don't even have to worry about that right now. But it was it was just a lot of people being critical of his career and him playing. And so I'm just excited the fact he came back this year and having the season that he's having because there should be no more doubters. The way he's been playing here lately you know, he's been playing like he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country, which he is. So I'm glad he came back so he can really get his just due as being not just stat-wise, but people actually feeling like he was one of the best quarterbacks that came through East Carolina University because he's definitely one of the best leaders that ever come to East Carolina University, quarterback or no quarterback. So I'm just excited he came back to really showcase what he can do and prove to everybody, and not really prove to everybody, prove to himself, uh, prove to his family that he is that guy. Don't get me wrong. He got all the stats. He got the stats. But now he's actually showing that he's a consistent quarterback. He can lead his team, and it's showing. And he's got the signature games now. So I think that yep, definitely helps he his favor. Um, but I, I like what you commented there. You know, I'm interested to see when it's all said and done with Holton Aylers after Saturday or not not necessarily after Saturday, but when this season's over, after the bowl game and whatnot, where he stacks among the all-time great pirate quarterbacks. You know, some people say 
he's the greatest. Others say he's not the greatest, but he's up there on like a top five list. Others say maybe he doesn't belong to be in that conversation. I'm just hearing right there that uh, he's probably the greatest pirate leader at quarterback ever, but you have him among the greats. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely have him among the greats. Uh, and like I said, when it comes to leadership-wise, I think he's top top two when it comes to leadership-wise. Who's the other Who's the play? other one? Oh, man. The other one, I'm going to go with David Garrard. Okay. I like Dave. Of course, he, he was my guy. Uh, and then you got to go with Holton. Truthfully, okay. Truthfully, Holton and David Garrard probably can go one and two. Like A, B, one A, one B. It really could. And then you got to look at back at the uh, the '92 team, you know, uh, who was that? Jeff Blake. Jeff Blake, yep. Jeff Blake, you know, he was a great leader. Uh, then you got Shane, Shane Carden. He yep. was a great leader, you know. So we East Carolina has been blessed with a lot of great quarterbacks and a lot of great receivers, and so, but Holton is right at the top when it comes to leadership and when it comes to just quarterback play. Period. He's right at the top. A lot of praise from former NFL veteran and ECU football legend Terrence Copper here with me on the Pirate Game Day Countdown edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Barman filling in, wrapping it up with T-Cop here. Um, just talk a little bit about your senior day and the emotions that come through when you're playing your final game in Daddy Ficklin Stadium in a Pirate uniform. What is the emotional, kind of what is your emotional state? What's going through your head? How are you feeling on senior day, what's running through a part player, a part senior's head on senior day? Oh, man, you were thinking about, you think, of course, you want to win that game. But you're going out there, and when you walk on the field, that's when it really hits you. It really hits you when you walk out of the tunnel, uh, when you're up there with your parents, you know, they give you flowers before the game and different things like that. But once you walk out of that tunnel for the last time, you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to leave it all out in the field. I'm going to leave it all out in this field. Regardless, if you've been leaving it out, if you've been leaving it out on the field the entire season, you still feel like you got more that you can leave out on the field for this last game. You know, and so yeah. that is where your head is at. You know, your head is like, you know, I'm going to play for my team. I'm going to leave it all out in the field because you don't know what's next. Everybody's not going to have that opportunity to play in the NFL next. You know, so – this is really, this really could be, and it really is the end for a lot of guys' playing career. And you got to think about it, Ben. These guys been playing football ever since they was seven, eight, nine years old. Yeah. You Sometimes know, earlier than that. Year. Exactly. You know, so, and, and it's, it's going to be a tough time once it's all over with because, you know, when you've been doing something all your life uh, and that's playing football, and all of a sudden now, this is the last time you're ever going to play it. It's emotional. Uh, whether they win the game or whether they lose the game, it's going to be emotional. Uh, that emotion is going to be the exact same whether they win or lose. If they win the game, that, that senior emotion are going to be the exact same even if they lost the game because the fact that this is their last game ever playing in Greenville. Great stuff from NFL veteran and ECU footballers and Terrence Cop here on the Pirate Game Day Countdown edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Byron filling in. T-Cop, a lot of great words there, a lot of great inside. Thanks a lot, my friend. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on, Ben. All right, great stuff by ECU football legend and former NFL vet Terrence Copper here on the Pirate Game Day Countdown edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. 
Normally, we hear Terrence Copper on the Bushlight Pirate Game Day countdown on Saturdays. He will not be on site and will not be on the pregame show this Saturday for ECU Senior Day matchup against Houston. So it's great to have him on today. On the other side, this quick time out here on the Patrick Johnson Show, we'll take a deeper dive into ECU's matchup against Hampton and give you a scatter report on the Hampton Pirates. That comes your way on the other side right here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Welcome back to the Pirate Game Day Countdown edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben Barm filling in. Philip the Ref Pilkington on the ones and twos producing today. Filling in for Patrick Johnson, who's set to be on the call on ESPN Plus for ECU's matchup against the Hampton Pirates. That comes your way at 7 o'clock. He'll be joined by Cy Seymour, and we're leading you into coverage at 6.30 as the voice Jeff Charles and Coach Michael Perry will bring you all the action right here on the flagship station, the ECU Pirates. 94-3 the game. In the meantime, a quick scouting report on the Pirates' opponents in the Hampton Pirates. They've only played once before in the all-time series. The Pirates taking that game 68-48. It was the last and only meeting against Hampton. That was back on November 29, 2016. B.J. Tyson, the former Pirate guard, was the Pirates' leading scorer, and the game's leading scorer was 17 points. He had also five assists and two steals in the win. And looking at Hampton a little bit more this year, Hampton suffered a tough loss in the offseason, losing their do-everything guard in Najee Garvin, who led the Pirates with an average of 15.2 points and 6.6 rebounds. And then the graduation of seven-footer DeJour Dickens, who averaged 5.5 points, 5.4 rebounds, and 2.7 blocks, was more of a defensive stalwart for the Hampton Pirates. He was the second leading shot blocker in the Big South. And then they had the transfer of D'Angelo Epps, who averaged 6.4 points and five rebounds. So the Pirates had to replace their three leading rebounders from last year. So the Hampton Pirates, when it comes to their physicality in the paint and rebounding, they have suffered and taken a huge loss this year due to the transfer portal. It is the Hampton Pirates' first year in the Colonial Conference. And in their very first game of the season, they faced a Colonial opponent in JMU, and it was not pretty for the Pirates in that game. Just an absolute spanking by the Monarchs as they defeated the Pirates 106-58. to The Pirates would bounce back and beat Regent University, a D2 school, but that was what is expected from them. You're playing a D2 school, your D1-level program in the Colonial and the Hampton Pirates won that game with the Regent Royals, 89-60. to No surprise there. The real star for Hampton this year has been Marquise Godwin, the junior guard for the Hampton Pirates. Very lengthy, a 6'5 guard. Has showcased that he can make things happen beyond the perimeter with his shooting. So far in the season, he shot 37.5% from three-point range, 44% on his field goal shooting, and he averages 16.5 points a game through two games so far. So definitely a really good score and a high-level score in the Colonial. But that's about all we've seen so far from their star player, Marquise Godwin, just mainly looking like a pure scorer for the Pirates. When it comes to anybody else who's really stood out for their team, it's been very inconsistent when it comes to a second guy to step up. It's only been two games against a D2 opponent in their first conference opponent this year. Maybe things will change in this game against the Pirates. We'll find out on the other side here this quick timeout. That's going to do it for us here on the Pirate Game Day Countdown edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. I was your host, Ben Barm. Filling in for the P-Man who should be back tomorrow. Special thanks to Philip the Ref Pilkington 
producing today's show. And intern Mississippi, Nasanga Nasinda, providing production assistance and doing a ton of great things behind the scenes. That's going to do it for us here. Jeff Charles, the voice of the Pirates, and Coach Michael Perry on the other side as they bring you action between ECU and Hampton. The Pirates versus the Pirates. That comes your way on the other side. It's a quick timeout here on the flagship station, the ECU Pirates. 94-3, the game. Excuse me while I kiss the sky.